couple weeks from now, uh, we're going to be launching our new series called His Story. It's the one story, the story of the Bible. It starts in the creation, goes to the cross, and then on into eternity. It's a story of God and his people. It's a love story. And uh, we're going to get into that soon, but we've been laying some groundwork, doing some preparation for that. And this morning, we're going to learn together. We're going to learn how to read, okay? That seems fitting for we're going back to school. So we're going to learn how to read. When I was in high school, I, I, I had no idea how to read my Bible. I had no idea how to approach the Bible. I sort of approached it like a, like a fortune cookie. And I'd kind of open the Bible, and I, you know, I'd have these questions for God, and then I would just kind of point at a verse, kind of roulette style, and hope that God was going to speak to me through that verse and apply it to the question that I had. So, for example, if I was like, should I date this girl or not, flip open, point to the verse. I did this in my office, uh, and this is the verse, dead serious, this is the verse that came up. Uh, Job thirty nine sixteen. She is harsh toward her young. As if they were not her own, she doesn't care if they die. So, well, thanks, Lord. That's an easy decision. I don't want a mean mother in my life, and so I rejected her. Um, or, or maybe I was, I was well, Lord, yeah, I remember there's a period in my life, should I be a missionary? Should I go to the mission field? God, what do you want me to do? And then, so I, again, this last week, I just did this, and this is the one that came up, Acts, 39, Acts 9, 32. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. I thought, all right, God, I got you. Travel from place to place, well played. I'll I'll go and I'll be a missionary. And so this was kind of the the way that I approached the Bible, okay? So it was was this this idea that I need to find out God's will for me. And and, and I don't know if you've been here where you treat the Bible kind of like this Ouija board where you're just kind of like, I hope I can find his secret plan for me in there. And we kind of read into the text and try to figure out what it is that he's saying through these kind of random verses that we point to. And clearly that's not a, a, a correct and a healthy way to approach the Bible. So the question that we have laid before us this morning is, how do we study the Bible? How, how do we read Scripture and apply it in the way that God intended? You all know the expression, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime, right? Um, we, when it comes to Scripture, we have to learn how to feed ourselves. How to feed ourselves. Um, you imagine me, a 32-year-old man, if my mom was still having to feed me. Do the, here comes the airplane, right? Come in for land. Now, that would make life a lot more difficult and awkward um, if, I, if I had to depend on someone else to feed me every time I needed to eat, right? Now, granted, I still go over to my parents a lot for dinners, but I use my own fork, okay? So let's just get that straight. I, I hear a lot of people in the church saying things like, um, Speaking negatively of a church they may attend, they say, well, I just, I'm not being fed there. Okay, I'm not getting fed. Now, hear me. There are times when a, pre- a church is not preaching the gospel, when, they, when they're preaching heresy. And yeah, you need to go find a new church, a church that, that follows Jesus and preaches the truth of, of who he is. But most of the time, most of the time, it's an us problem. Okay? And what I mean by that is it is not, and hear me on this, it is not primarily the pastor's job to feed us. The primary feeding is, it's the Holy Spirit's job through my study of the word. I mean, you think about this. Imagine if you only ate food once a week. And you said, I have a big Sunday lunch, and then I'm going to kind of hope that that carries me through the next week. 
Well, we don't do that with food, so why do we do that spiritually? Why would we come and say, well, the pastor's going to preach this great sermon on Sunday morning, and then I'll just, that'll kind of just carry me through, kind of inspire me through the rest of the week until the next sermon the next week. We would never do that with physical food, so why would we do that with, phys- with spiritual food? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So you ask yourself this morning, do, do I know how to correctly handle the word of truth? Do I know how to read scripture? Do I know how to apply it correctly? Can you feed yourself or do you just come on Sunday mornings hoping for the airplane? It's been estimated that 30 million Americans have experienced an eating disorder in one fashion or another. That's 10% of our population. That's a high number and it's a serious problem. A couple of the main uh, types of eating disorders, um, anorexia is one where you just are just legitimately not eating and you continue to not eat and, and carry that to its logical end, you would die. And an anorexic often sees themselves as fat regardless of how skinny they become. There's also bulimia. Now the bulimic will eat food, but then they cause themselves to throw up before their body can absorb the nutrients that they need from the food that they ate. And I think spiritually we can suffer from both of these kinds of eating disorders. There are some of us who are anorexics where we're just not feeding ourselves at all. And spiritually, we're starving. And then there are those of us who can become spiritual bulimics, where we, where we do, we come on Sunday mornings, and we hear a message, and we listen to the songs, but then we go home, and we never let God apply it to our hearts. We never say, now what do you want me to do with this? We never let it make a difference in our lives, and the result is the same. And the reason that so many of us are not growing, the, me- the reason so many of us are not who we could be in Christ is because we're either not eating or we're eating and then we're just throwing it right back up again. And if we don't eat, we die. If we don't eat, we die. And I can tell you, I absolutely feel the days and even the weeks at times when I'm not in the Word and I'm not spending time with the Lord, I can feel it. I can feel the spiritual hunger and the weakness and buying into the lies. And we, we don't take days off eating, right? Like we talked about. We said, man, I'm just too busy today. I don't have time to eat. We manage to find time to eat physical food every single day. Two or three times a day. It's a heart issue. We've got to do business with our hearts and say, what is keeping me out of the scripture? And there's a lot, maybe it's laziness. Maybe there's some sin in our lives that we don't want to have to deal with. We don't want exposed. And so we just kind of hide from God and the things that might reveal that. Or maybe it's just simply we don't know how to read the Bible. And so it's the easiest thing is just to not even deal with it, not even go there. Two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of worldview. You remember we said that our worldview, um, it influences, it it determines everything that we think, everything that we say, and we feel, and we do. And then last week we talked about the necessity, therefore, of building our worldview on a firm foundation on God's revealed truth to us. Today we want to talk about, okay, how do we do that? How do we approach the Bible in a way that we can know it rightly to build a firm foundation and, and I want to, you know, I want to make this so applicable today. Today we're going to kind of get, we're going to get nerdy again a little bit. Um, I want this to be applicable because I don't, studying the Bible is not just for pastors, okay? It is my, it's one of the parts of my job, but each of us as believers need to be able to feed ourselves. 
And also I want to say, we're going to talk about how to read and study and apply the Bible today, but I want to be very clear. We're going to talk about, um, where's the, there it is. We're going to talk about tools, not rules. What I want to do today is, um, this is not a, a legalistic one-size-fits-all. I'm not going to tell you, this is how you study the Bible. and Everybody has to do it this exact way. But I want to give us some principles, some tools in our tool belt so that we know how to do it well. In the picture here, I got out of order. But every Sunday, you know, I come and I, I prepare a meal for you, okay? I'm your spiritual chef. And I've been working in the kitchen all week. And then this is, we're presenting this and we're digging into the word ourselves. But today, I want to take us back into the kitchen. And I want us to get in there, and I want us to learn how we can make, make meals for ourselves, how the soup gets made, so to speak. So we're going to dig in here together. First thing I want to do is um, just five helpful tools, really practical, um, really simple. First thing is finding a consistent time and place, okay? Um, we can't just be like, well, God is just going to kind of open up a time for me today. And it's sort of, I want it to be organic. You know, everyone uses that word a lot today. It's just be organic. God's gonna, just going to kind of give me the time that I need. Now listen, everybody's not going to have the same time or the same place. And, and throughout your week, that time and change, place might change some. But, but hear me on this. If we don't have some kind of a routine, it will not happen. And you know it and I know it because we've experienced it in our lives. Finding a consistent time and place. Second one is simply grabbing a pen or a pencil or a highlighter because we are going to mark this bad boy up, okay? And I'm here to tell you, God's okay if you write in your Bible, okay? Okay? He's, he's okay with it. He's not going not to throw lightning bolts at you. And third one, and I know this is profound, but you need a Bible, okay? Really hard to study the Bible without a Bible. Now, we can talk about versions another time, but the point that I simply want to make is um, it can be really helpful to have a Bible, like a second Bible that you can mark up that you can write in, in the margins, along the sides of it. Um, and, and there's a couple different things. I, I like having the Bible that I read, and then also a Bible that I write in. And maybe, I mean, most of us have like 15 Bibles laying around in our houses, scattered like Easter eggs that we've never found. Or, or if you don't have one, you go to Bargain Basement in Kenai, and there's a box of them for free, okay? You can grab a Bible there. Another thing you can do, we did this at the Diamond M uh, home group uh, this Monday, you can print some scripture off. Just print it off, and, and then you can write until your heart's content. If you didn't like what you did there, you toss that one and print off a new one. And then if you're a digital person, there's actually some apps online that you can find. I found one called the Markup Bible, and it's on the iPad, um, and, or I don't know if it's on the, uh, the Android, the regular tablets or not. But um, you download it, and you can actually just write and underline and highlight with your finger along the text. And it's this really cool um, program that I found last, this last week. Um, another one is a journal. I found it really helpful to complete my sentences on a piece of paper, to, to finish out my, my thoughts and my prayers. And it's really cool to be able to look back at different times in my life and see the prayers that have been answered, to see the thoughts that I had, to see the, see the things that I was learning. And then the last one is a reading plan. Um, I, I don't advise just to open the Bible day to day and be like, uh, there, right? It's intimidating. It's a big book. And so have some kind of a plan. I know a lot of times for me, I just start each year at the beginning, Genesis and Matthew, and read a chapter in the new and a chapter in the old, just kind of work my way through, and, and maybe a psalm. But one thing that we're going to open up that I'd love for us to walk with as a church is we're actually going to start September 11th. We're going to have a reading plan that we'd like to walk through together. It's a daily reading plan. It's called the One Story Plan. It's, uh, and it's, this is in your uh, bulletins in the, in the, in the handout, uh, but on ownit365.com. 
um, or on your version app, the popular, the most popular Bible app, there's under the plans, there's this version, Own It 365, it's the one-story plan. It doesn't go through the entire Bible, what it does is it goes through the major storyline of Scripture, and as you're working through the Old Testament, it gives you some New Testament verses that kind of tie in to the story that's laid down there, and it's a cool version now. Some of you guys are like, I don't even know, I'm better at, like, if you're like my dad, and you're, you'd be better off disarming a bomb than trying to operate a smartphone, okay? We have handouts for you. We have printed versions. You don't have to touch an electronic. Uh, Hopefully next week we'll have those available, and we'll have those available by month, so you can be reading through this together. We're excited about stepping into this story together, but we want to have a plan so you know what you want to read tomorrow. That all helps you keep you accountable, Um, and so those are the five tools that that we wanted to look at. Now, we go, okay, how do we study? Okay, we got some tools in our tool belt. Now, how do we actually do this study thing? Well, I want to introduce you to an acronym that I call POYAP. You know what that means? Nothing, okay? It's just the sound that Batman makes when he hits somebody, all right? Um, it doesn't mean anything, but I didn't want to change the words to make it make something cooler because I really like these specific words. It's pray. You start off with prayer, and then it's you observe, you interpret, you apply, and then you pray again. Okay, these are the five steps. We're going to walk through these. So the first one is to pray. Um, we, and then there's also actually a, uh, a, um, a bookmark from InterVarsity in your bulletins as well that walks through these five steps. And it's been really helpful, something I've used to study um, this last week as I've kind of used that. It's, it's pretty cool. First thing we do is we pray. We start our time in prayer. And this is so essential. This is not a throwaway. Listen, what we're about to engage in is a battle. And our flesh, our sin nature, and Satan, they do not want us to read the Bible. And have you ever noticed when you sit down and you start to open up your Bible, all of a sudden, all these things that you forgot that you need to do start flooding your mind. Like I sit there and I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to clean out the garage. I'm like, wait a second, I don't even have a garage. Okay, what, what am I talking about? But it's just, there, there is a battle, and so we need to start it with prayer. And it's a, it can be simple, just simply saying, God... Speak to me. So I open your words. Show me yourself. Hey, remove the distractions from my mind and just show me who you are and, and what you want me to know about you and how you want me to change. And then dig in. This is a simple thing, but it's the difference between relying on ourselves and our own brilliance, which is really foolishness, as opposed to relying on the power of God. It's, an, it's a living word. It's not just a book study. It's, it's life. And so we start by saying, God, show me yourself. And the second thing we do is we observe. Now, when we observe, we ask the question, what does it say? We're going to read the text. And we're going to say, what is it saying? Now, the, the first step, and again, I'm just going to give you some profound things today. I'm glad I'm here. The first thing you need to do is read. Okay? If you don't read the Bible, you can't move on toward any other step. So we open the Bible and we, and we read. And, and I would say, just, just, I mean, don't overdo it. Okay? Ten minutes. We don't need to say, well, I read through the entire Bible in three weeks. I don't remember a thing it said, but I did it. You know, that, that's not helpful. Read it. Take a simple passage and, and just read it. And, and I love the NIV and some of these versions. They have the little italic uh, headings. You see those? Um, I just take a chunk. Just take one of those chunks, you know, eight or ten verses, and read it and reread it and re-re-re-read it and over and over again and start there. And then time to get our Sherlock Holmes on, all right? And what we're going to do is we're going to simply start by asking 
questions. We're going to look for clues. Just ask normal questions. What is this passage saying? What, I don't understand. It. This part, it seems insane. I don't, I don't understand what Paul's saying here. We just ask some good questions. It's a good place to start, just like any good detective, is your five W's and an H. The who, what, where, when, why, and how. Okay? Who, who is writing this? Who are they writing to? What, what are they saying? What, what, what is taking place here? Where are they writing this? Or where is this happening? When is it happening? Why did they say what they said? Why did he react like he reacted? Why would Paul put that part in there? How is that going to, what he said that's going to happen, how, how is that going to play out? How, how is he going to react to what he did? And you simply ask questions. Ask good questions. That's the, that's the best way to start when you're studying. Ask the questions. And then the next thing you want to look for is keywords. Um, keywords, and this is where it gets fun. You can grab your pencil, your pen, your highlighter, and you start marking it up. Okay? And this last week at Home Group, we did this. We, we dug into Philippians 4, and uh, this is my sheet. All right? So we just started highlighting stuff and underlining stuff. And, and what I did, you look for some things like repeated words and phrases. If there's a passage and a word keeps coming out again and again and again, we want to take note of that. I was noticing in Philippians 4, 10 through 20, he, Paul uses the word concern a lot, give and gift a lot, need, content seem to be a key word. So we just kind of key into those words. Why is Paul using those words? What is it that he's talking about? here. We look for things like conjunctions, right? Told you we're going back to school. Or, and, but, okay? We look for those words, and what is he comparing? What is he contrasting? It's another thing to look for, okay? In this, in this passage, he uses um, whether I'm in need or whether I'm in plenty. He uses that kind of, um, of compare and contrast several times throughout the passage. So what is he comparing? What is he contrasting? Why is he talking about that? In verse 17, he says, not this, but that, so what, I start asking questions, not what, but what. What is it that Paul is looking at here? Or we can look at cause and effect. He says, if you do this, this will happen. Well, pay attention. If I do what, what will happen? What's the promise? What's the condition? And then we look for things like verb tenses. This is important too. I mean, again, we're getting nerdy and we're getting grammary today, but it's important. Did God say that will happen? That already has happened? It might happen? Look for tenses in verse 19 when he says, God will meet all my needs according to his riches in glory. That's a big difference than God saying, I might meet all your needs. When he says, I will meet all your needs, we zero in on that will, and it's a promise, and it makes a big difference. And look for things finally like lists. Back in verse 8, he says, think about whatever is lovely and honorable and true and pure, and key in on those lists. What is Paul listing out? What's the significance of those things on that list? So we look for these kind of things. And if you notice here, all we're doing in this stage, we're not drawing conclusions. We're just simply observing. We're asking questions. We're asking questions and we're noticing. But what's going to happen as we start to do this is we're going to move into the next stage, which is interpreting. Interpreting. If observe is what does it say, interpreting means is what does it mean. Okay, at first we're just asking the questions, what does the passage say? Now we want to know, well, what does it mean? We're asking the why questions now. Why did he say that? What's our conclusion? And what I want to look at here, there's four pitfalls that I want to look at this morning that we can easily fall into when we're trying to interpret the Bible. And they can lead us. We've seen in human history some major problems from wrong interpretation of Scripture. So we're going to look at these pitfalls and then look at principles that we can bring in to help us avoid falling into those pits. The first one is we need to avoid reading into the text. And here's what I mean by that. We need to make sure that we're not trying to make Scripture say what I want it to say. 
The question is, what is God saying? Not, how do I make the Bible say what I want to say? Anybody can take a verse and take the scriptures and make it say whatever they want to say. But that's not what God wants us to do. Where am I at here? Oh, and this is, you guys aren't going to believe this. This is a real sermon, okay? I'm not making this up. There was a guy once who preached this message. He called it, Top Knot Come Down, okay? The sermon was to convince his congregation that the ladies were not, that it was sinful to them to have uh, the little bun things, little, you know, whatever things, that thing, on the top of their heads, okay? And he called it Top Knot Come Down. And this is his text, okay? I'm not making this up. Don't shoot the messenger. Matthew 24, 17, he said, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And then he took that phrase, not even the right spelling of the word not, and he said, take, let not the top knot come down. So he's saying, take that knot off the top of your head, based on that verse, okay? Do not go to that guy's church, all right? It's insane. So, so this, but this is what we can do. We try to take scripture and make it say whatever we wanted to say. So, so here's the principle. Here's the principle. Context is king. Ta- context is king. And here's what I mean. You come across a word like trunk, okay? Trunk can mean an elephant's nose. It can mean a suitcase. It can mean the base of a tree. Um, it can mean the back of your car. How do we know the, which, which use of the word trunk is being used? Well, we look at the sentence that it's in, right? If we say, I've got to pack my trunk to go on my trip, we know we're probably not stuffing our socks and underwear in an elephant's nose, right? What is the context? And the, and, and the rule here, the principle here, is interpret words in light of the sentence that they're in, Interpret the sentence in light of the paragraph it's in. Interpret the paragraph in light of the book that it's in. And interpret that book in light of the Bible. And, and that's why when we talk about, when we study Philippians together, we start and we go, let's read the whole book. Encourage you to go home and read the whole book so that when we zoom in on these different passages, I know in light of the whole book what is being talked about here. And that's a major reason of why we're doing this study together is to get the whole story of Scripture so that we know how each of those individual stories fit into the context. And we see, if we look at Matthew 24, Jesus, when he says, let him which is on the housetop not come down, he is saying to the Judeans, you need to flee to the mountains in the end times, because it's about to go down. He's not talking about messy buns. That is not in the context of what Matthew, and what Jesus is talking about in Matthew. But just as importantly, you know, when we, we looked through Philippians 4, and we saw the verse, I can do all things through Christ. If we take that out of context, out of Philippians 4, we said that that means that if I want to lift that piano up over my head, I can do all things through Christ, right? And then I throw my back out. When, when we look at the context of Philippians 4, he's saying, whether I'm in need or whether I have a lot, I have all that I need in Christ. I can make it through any situation in Christ. The context is so important. Pitfall number two, superficial study. This comes out when we say things like, you know, and you probably experience this in Bible study, when we'll say, well, what does it mean to you? And we just kind of do this kind of feely thing where it's like, well, to me, it means this. And it's just sort of based on a hunch or a feeling or whatever your interpretation is good for you and, and mine is good for me. What do we say? That's, that's postmodernism, right? To say, well, whatever's true for you is true for you. And whatever's true for me is true for me. That's not the truth, okay? When, when we look at um, 
we say it this way, you can make more than one application. In other words, we study a passage in scripture and you might apply it differently than I need to apply it. There might be more than one way to apply it, but there is only one way to interpret it. Now, that doesn't mean that interpretation's easy. And there are a lot of passages where people are very divided on the interpretation of that passage, but there is one truth, and we want to seek that truth. So here's the principle that we can have to, to avoid that pitfall. It's what I call the aim, or the author's intended meaning. So this is actually how we read anything in our lives. Like, if you're... Um, if your spouse sends you a text message, okay, you're coming home from work. She says, honey, could you please pick up some milk on the way home from work? How do you read that text message? Do you go, well, I wonder what she's saying. Like, what is this milk that she's speaking of? Like, maybe she means, I mean, milk helps you grow. Maybe my spouse wants me to grow up. Milk is sweet. Maybe she wants me to be nicer to her. You know, the way home, heaven's my home. Does she want me to die? Hmm. No. <laughs> Listen, knucklehead. There is one intended meaning from that text. Pick up some milk on the way home, please. Right? It's pretty straightforward. What is the meaning behind the text? That There was one intended meaning behind it, and, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what that is. So we ask ourselves, and scripture is the exact same way. When an author writes something, they have a purpose for why they wrote that. And so we want to ask the question, what's the author's main point? What's the big idea? When they said this, why, were they, why was Paul writing this to the Philippians? Why did David sing that song to God? Why did they write what they wrote? And that's the question we want to ask ourselves. What's the main point of the passage? We look at Philippians 4. I think the main point of Philippians 4, 10 through 20 is that Paul is grateful for the gift the Philippians gave him, but he reminds them that we can be content whether we have a lot or a little because Christ is our sufficiency. I think that's the main point. And all the other details of that passage work in toward that intended meaning that Paul wrote. Number three, don't over-spiritualize the text. Okay, and this is important. Um, this is what John MacArthur calls little Bo Peep preaching. Okay? And what this means is, what we'd like to do is we like to, to read into and spiritualize um, a lot of things that weren't intended to be spiritualized. So I could take, I mean, I'm a preacher by trade, so I could take Little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and can't tell where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home, bringing their tails behind them. In the words of Pastor Larry, that'll preach, okay? And I could preach a great sermon, we like sheep have gone astray, right? But the true sheep... They will bring their spiritual tails coming behind them. They will come back home to Jesus, who here today wants to, you know, and I could go there, okay? And, and, and there could even be some truth in the things that I'm saying, but that wasn't the intention behind the author writing Little Bo Peep, right? So what we want to ask is, why did the author write what they wrote? What is their intended meaning? And, and this is the principle here, is we need to know the genre of, of the literature, of the book that was wrote, written. There's different kinds of writing, okay? For example, if your spouse, we'll go back to the spouse thing, if they wrote you a love poem, okay, is that even what you call it? Is it a love poem? If you write, if you write them a love poem, okay, you're going to read that differently than the text about the milk coming home, right? If they say, dear honey, in your presence, my heart stops beating. Now, do you take that literally? And you go, oh no. I am causing my spouse arrhythmia. I should probably stop hanging around them. 
this is not good for their health. No, we read, like, that's poetry, dude. Like, you read poetry different than you read a letter, than you read, like, the text that says, bring the milk home on the way, right? You read poetry different than you'd read a, a letter. And in the same way, Scripture, not all books are written the same way, with the same intent, in the same style. We look through the books of Scripture, and there are many different styles. One of them is poetry. So the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, there's a lot of figurative language. When Isaiah 55, when Isaiah says the trees clap their hands, Isaiah is not deluded and thinks that trees actually have physical hands that are clapping for Jesus. It's figurative language. And so we read that when we read poetry, and you know that. We read normal poetry just like we would read biblical poetry. But then there's some books that are letters, or what we call the epistles. When 1 John, Philippians are examples, Paul is writing a letter to a specific people to tell them something. We read that differently than we would read poetry. And in the same way, you read history or the narratives. You know, you think about Genesis or the Judges. You read these stories, and you read them like you would read any other story. And we ask the question, what is the main point of the story? And what we want to avoid is reading meaning into parts of the story where it was never intended by the author. Think about the story of David and Goliath. And David puts the five stones, he gathers the five stones to go kill Goliath. We don't read into that and go, well, maybe those are the five spiritual gifts that God's given me. And I put them in my spiritual sling and I slay my spiritual giant. And, and he's going, what? That was never the intention of the author. So when we're reading the story, we go, what is the point of the story? We got to know the genres that we're reading. And then the last one, um, we got to be careful about basing a belief on a confusing passage, Okay. If you read a passage and you don't understand it and your face looks like this little guy's, okay, here's what I would advise you. Don't base your worldview, don't base your belief on a passage that you don't understand. And we'll do that a lot. Where there's some weird passage that seems to contradict a lot of the other scripture and we're going, well, I guess we're just going to go with this. And, and here's my principle, uh, correlation. And what this means is we let obvious scripture interpret less obvious scripture. So if 99% of Scripture is saying this, but this 1% seems like it might be saying something that contradicts that, we're going to err on the side of letting the 99% interpret the 1%. And Scripture does a great job at interpreting other Scripture. And we're reading a passage that we don't want to stand, we understand, we want to find related passages to that topic to, for let God shed light on it through his own word. Now, you might say, well, how do I do some of that? Like, you know, when we talk about Philippians and I'm telling you about some of the background information or we're looking at some of the Greek definitions and you're going, Justin, how are you so smart? Like, how do you know all of that stuff? And um, the, the fact is I don't know all of that stuff, but I, I have sources, okay? And I'll tell you, my, do you want to know my sources? Uh, the one that I really recommend, you do not have to be a Greek scholar to study the Bible, especially in the age of the internet. And this is not, this is no advertising here. I'm not getting money from it. They're not getting money from it. But studylight.org is an amazing tool, and it's my favorite price. It's free. Um, and you can access this, and you type in a passage, and it gives you all these commentaries and, and, and these kind of these dictionaries and, and shows you Greek definitions, and it's really easy to navigate it and click on it. And you can do a lot of this background study, a lot of this word study, right there on your own using that, a tool like StudyLight. So I really recommend digging into not just, I mean, a lot of our understanding can come just reading the Scripture, asking good questions from the Scripture, but to do some of the deeper digging, a tool like this is an amazing thing if we want to feed ourselves. And then fourthly, we want to apply. Apply. Observe, we ask, what does it say? Uh, uh, interpret, what does it mean? 
and to apply it is what does it mean to me or what should I do about it? Now listen, we're going to spend the least amount of time on this one, but this is really the most important part. If we do not apply what we're reading, you know what James 1 says? He goes, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You know what James is saying? He goes, you are a fool if you simply observe and interpret, but you never apply. If we don't ask God to change us through this text, if we don't walk in it, then what is the point of what we're doing in the first place? And so we want to ask ourselves some of these questions. You go, how do I respond? God, how would you have me respond to what I just read? I just read something. Now, now what's my response? How does it challenge my worldview? How does this change the way I see the reality? How do I put this into practice? What do you want me to do? What are the implications for my community? How does this change the, the way that I see the people around me. And the most important question, I think, is what does this show me about yourself? The main purpose of Scripture is to reveal the person of God to us. So God, what are you telling me about yourself and me in light of yourself? And these are some questions, the next ones, that I've jotted down in my bookmark that have been so helpful to me um, to know kind of how to apply. Um, I ask myself, is there a sin to avoid? Is this scripture talking about some sin in my life that, that needs to go? Is there a command here that I'm being called to obey? Is there a lesson in this passage that I need to learn? Is there an example of someone that God's showing me that I need to follow? I need to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Is there a truth that I need to believe that I have currently not been believing? Is there an attitude in my heart that needs to change that's being shown here? Is there a prayer in one of David's beautiful prayers or something that I need to echo to God? I need to make that my prayer. Is there a promise I need to claim in my life, a specific promise, or is there a praise that I need to express to God. And listen, we can only apply correctly if we interpret correctly. Because if we don't interpret right, remember we say if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I take that to mean that I can go out and do anything. So I get in my car on KB Road and I start driving 400 miles an hour. And I go, well, I can do anything, Right? And I skydive without a parachute. You know, I can do anything through Christ's strength. But if I understand the context, and I know what Paul's saying, I start applying it correctly. Am I content in any situation, whether we're dirt poor or we've got money coming out of our ears, whether I'm suffering through an illness or I'm healthy as a horse? Am I content in every situation? Or like the Philippians, am I giving generously? See, if we interpret the passage correctly, we will apply it correctly the way God would have us. And then the last step... Just like we started, we want to end the time in prayer. And we ask God for the grace to believe and to obey. And this is where I just encourage you. It helps me to write out some of those thoughts, write out some of those prayers. And say, okay, God, I just, I just read this. Now help me to obey it. Help me to believe it. Put it into practice. Now again, you're going to do variations of this. I've not just given you the way to study the Bible every time. We've given some tools. It's a good launching point. And I encourage you, grab that bookmark in the bulletin and start digging in this week. And I'd, I suggest to start small. Don't, you know, I mean, especially if you're not that familiar. Some of us, some of you guys out there are just like, you know, just nailing it. You're doing four-hour Bible studies a day. you got the entire Bible memorized, okay? Hats off to you. But for the rest of us, um, you know, I'd encourage, spend 15 minutes. Start with 15 minutes, five minutes of reading, five minutes of kind of walking through some of these steps and meditating on it, and five minutes in prayer. Kind of build like you're working out, right? You don't start in the gym with the 400-pound dumbbell the first day. 
but build that habit, build that discipline, or maybe, maybe come together with a spouse or a friend or a roommate and kind of work on this together. It can be a beautiful thing to study God's word with one another. And one thing that I want to kind of end on is do not, this is not legalism. What I mean by that is we're not saying read the Bible every day so that God makes you wealthy, so that God gives you health, so that God's happy with you. Okay, God's love for us is not dependent on how often we read the scripture. That's not why we come to God's word. We read it because we hunger for him. We read it to know and believe that he already does love us because of what Christ did for us, not based on my reading performances. Because that's where true joy is. That's where true contentment is. That's the point of Philippians 4. If we find our contentment in him, then I can make it through any season, any situation. So ask yourself this morning, am I a spiritual anorexic? Am I, am I not feeding myself? Am I just spiritually dying because I'm not coming to God and meeting him in his word? Am I a spiritual bulimic where I'm reading it, but I'm not applying it? I'm not living out what I'm reading, and so therefore I'm, I'm not growing. This is not an issue of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. This is not about ability. God's given us each everything we need for life and godliness. It's a heart issue. And if we're hungry, we'll be fed. I love this verse in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we hunger for him, he will feed us. If we want a taste of him, he's going to give us more than we could ever ask or imagine. God, I pray that as we come to you, that we would hunger for you, that we would thirst after you, that as the deer pants, that we would not want nothing more than to know you as you've shown us in your word. And God, it's a battle. And Lord, I can feel it. I confess it this past week. There were many mornings that I just didn't want to wake up early. I didn't want to, I didn't want to make the time. I didn't want to discipline myself or I was trying to avoid you for some reason. God, it is a battle. And I pray that we would tr- claim truth over lies and that we would desire you over all else, that we would hunger for your word, not to, not to have a bunch of knowledge that puffs, puffs us up, not to check it off our list so that you're happy with us, but to know you and to meet you there. God, there is no sweeter joy than knowing you and having a relationship with you. And I pray that we as a church would hunger for you to dig into your word, to know you rightly. And then as we feast, that we would become full, fully satisfied in who you are. This is not just some academic exercise. This is life. And if we don't feed on you, we die. Give us that hunger. Give us the grace to know you more, to trust you deeply, and then most importantly, to apply what we see in your word into our hearts, to believe you rightly, to obey you rightly, to go out and make disciples as you've called us to. We love you, and we thank you for giving us your word, that we can know you. It's in your beautiful son's name that we pray. Amen.